I know you will know this, but it's probably worth saying out loud. Um, by the time you've got here, we've warmed up a little bit. Um, we, we kind of have a, an earlier service for those who can't sleep at uh, 9 a.m. in the morning. And um, sometimes it feels like we're just kind of, if we're not careful, we could just be repeating some things. But uh, I've always tried to not, not to force upon the Holy Spirit an agenda, but hopefully to be led as he leads me this morning uh, as we communicate his word. So a couple of things to just say. Um, thank you to the worship team. And, um, and all of those who serve behind the scenes. You can't see lots of what goes on, but there's lots of people who come here at ridiculous hours of the morning. Um, I'm not even sure Jesus is out of bed at that time of day. But they come here and they're setting things up and um, they just, we have an embarrassment of riches here in this church of people who love to serve the Lord. So can we say thank you to them? Would that be okay? And also, uh, we had a men's breakfast yesterday. I think, I thought it went well. I don't know about anybody else. What does... <laughs> I thought it went well. I mean, to be honest with you, there are only two things I came for. One was the food and the other was the food. And um, on both accounts, both the spiritual and the physical food was good. And it was great to hear some of the guys share testimonies. You know, God is doing something good. God is doing something good. This, this is recording me for some reason. It'll be taken down and used in evidence against me, I'm sure, at some point. So... I just want to kind of keep you up to speed. I think it's only fair to be transparent. Is that okay? <laughs> Thank you. Um, but we're starting a conversation today that if I'm honest with you, I've kind of held back from having. Um, not because it couldn't have happened sooner, but I wanted to prepare us for what I think will be a word that will draw us into the greatest story of God. And um, you may have been consciously aware of, or not, as the case may be, that over the last number of months that I've been here, I've been very much majoring on our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I think one of the first series we did was all around the concept of him being our good shepherd. God has unlimited resources, unstoppable capacity, and he chooses to have relationship with you, and he chooses to have relationship with me. And there's nothing you need that he can't supply. Amen? amen. Some of you don't even say amen to the right bits. <laughs> I'm getting a bit confused now. You say amen to the wrong bits. <laughs> um, so unless I have that belief system around God, I will fall into the trap of trying to make this thing happen in my own strength. And uh, I, I just can't, I'm not very good at being a Christian. I don't know if anybody else is. Um, I have a good moment or a good day and then it lapses back. Because at the core of my being, I'm quite selfish. Are you? They say confession is good for the soul, but it is lousy for the reputation, isn't it? I, I, I try and I get moments where I think, I can do this for God. Yes, Jesus. Hey. And then by Wednesday, I'm not sure I'm in or I'm out or I'm shaking it all about. Anybody else feel a bit like that? So what that does, it tells you that really this can't be about your ability. It can't, because if it's down to you and it's down to me, well, goodness, 
what on earth will happen in our world? So drawing our attention back to the source of life and keeping us connected to the sound of his voice may seem like they're slightly devotional or um, contemplative concepts. But actually, everything that Jesus did, every act, every miracle, every supernatural, powerful expression of the kingdom of God came out of those two realities. That he lived with this consistent awareness of the benevolence and the fullness and the greatness of his father, the shepherd. Every moment of every day, in every conversation, in every situation, Jesus stayed connected to that truth. And if he needed to do that, and he was pure and without sin, then how much more we who have been marred and marked by sin need to keep our attentions and our focus on the one thing that is everything, and that is the Lord is our shepherd. And we said, didn't we, that if we live like that, then the truth could be said of us that we shall not want. I think sometimes we want because we don't live like that. Now, I'm not suggesting God gives us all the material possessions we want on this earth. I know there are many people who have a name it, claim it, blab it, grab it kind of ministry. But actually, I believe that you can have all kinds of stuff and be really empty inside. You know, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world but loses himself in the process? So I think when we think of wealth and we think of what is a blessing, we must think beyond just the material things because you can be blessed with much and you can be blessed if you haven't got much. And your blessing is not attached to what you have. And if it is, please move it away from that because it needs to be attached to who you are, a child walking in relationship with the good shepherd who has unlimited resources to fill your life with incredible blessing. And the greatest blessing of all for me is just being a son of the Most High God. The greatest blessing for me is to know him and, more importantly, to be known by him. There are no other blessings that could ever compare to that. In our second half of that conversation, because it's a two-half conversation, was how do we stay in consistent communion with the God who speaks, the God who loves, and the God who delights to share his wisdom and his truth and his revelation with us. And so for the second month, we looked at the subject which I love called communion with God. For far too long, we've been trying to find our way forward without the light of God's word illuminating our path. And uh, you can get so far with human capacity, but you'll never get into the fullness of your destiny unless you rely on the sound of the voice of the Lord to take you and to lead you into your promised land. And indeed, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to take you to the land of promise. You know God has promises for you? Yes. Do you know they are still standing today? There is nothing on this earth that could take them from you. Nothing. Well, apart from you. But that's a whole other subject. And so... Staying connected to the sound of the one whose voice is the sound of many rushing waters ensures for us that we live with a consistent sense of God's breath upon our lives. Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. When God speaks, it's more than words. It actually fills my whole body with life and, and vitality and power and authority. And so I need and I don't know about you, but I need to stay consistently in connection with the sound of his voice. And so we looked at various ways 
in that second part of our journey and how we can live in that place of intimacy and connectivity with God. And all of that was great. And some people have come up to me and said, you know, thank you so much for sharing some of the principles you've learned. Oh, no bother at all. I mean, they cost me a lot, but you can have them for free. Okay, I didn't find those things out from a book. I found them out from my own journey with Christ. And uh, they've kept me well, you know, over the years. There's been lots of stuff happen, and I've come back to those simple truths, and they've kept me close to Jesus. But actually, what I want to talk to you this morning about, and maybe for the next number of weeks, is the other half of that story. What you're asking, what do I mean? Well, I've clearly been talking to you about the great commandment. Now, the great commandment is simply this. And this is the work of God in your life. This is why God speaks. This is why the Spirit has been given to you. The great commandment is that you and I would somehow grow in our ability to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Now, people come to me all the time and they say, I don't know what God's will for my life is. Well, there it is. That's God's will for your life. That you would love him I mean, you might get to choose what job you do. You certainly can choose who you marry. I know people make this hyper-spiritual. But don't marry someone just because somebody told you God spoke to them. And it, do you know, if I would married everyone who told me that God told them they were going to marry me. <laughs> I know it's hard for you to believe, but I was hot in my day. It's hard for you to believe. You do need supernatural vision and capacity to understand that statement. But you know, I think there was about five or six women who came to me and said, it's the will of God for me to marry you. That's lovely, thank you very much, I'm very grateful. But I wanted God to tell me and to show me. And uh, it wasn't spooky or supernatural. There was no kind of light in the sky or anything. I just saw her and fell head over heels in her. And uh, she's not with us now because my daughter's just come back from Somerset and they needed to attend to something. She was in the first service. But my wife was hot. I didn't, I didn't need... Sorry. I, I didn't need a word from the Lord. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I felt what I was seeing and witnessing was the word of the Lord. And um, we've been married 27 years. And I always get shocked when I wake up and she's still there. I think she wakes up and is disappointed that I'm still there. But that's a whole other subject. It's a whole other subject. So we've been dining out on the great commandment. We will continue to do that. That's everything. And from it flows so many things. Loving God with all of our hearts, with all of our mind, with all of our strength isn't an occasional visitation. It's a permanent reality to every facet of our lives. Can I remind you some things? You know whenever trials come, does anybody have trials? I'm just checking. Perhaps it's just me, you know. I just... Do you know that in every trial, there's a treasure? In everything that the devil wants to take from you, there's an upgrade afforded to you through God's grace. Hello? Yes. Do you know when stuff happens to you and it's not good stuff? Never, ever, ever get paralyzed by the adversity. Get energized by the glory of God. You know when the enemy starts to tell you all manner of things and throw all manner of things and sometimes it's not the enemy, it's just life. Okay, 
never stop for a moment, never have a second thought that God might be punishing you or testing you or any of those stuff. Do you know how all of that went on Jesus? Hello? What is available to you in those times of trial is an upgrade. There's an upgrade. So when the devil comes in to steal, always pay attention to what he's after. And it's not after. He's never after the temporary things or the temporal things. He's after the eternal things, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And his greatest desire in all of your trials and temptations is to stop you from loving God. Guess what? With all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. We just need to be a bit sharper, I think. I know I do, because when stuff happens, I don't realize that there are two options for me. I can either, oh God, or I can say, ah, God, in the midst of my problem, you have a promise for me. Lord, right here in the trash, this treasure. And just so you're aware, because it's important to say some things out loud repeatedly, the devil, okay, He's got limited resources. So even if he threw it all at you, and you're simply not that important, I don't mean to be rude or anything. There's no Billy Graham Reinhardt here. or <laughs> You know, even if he threw it all at you, because he's got limited resources, he has nothing in comparison to the resources available to you in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And I stay connected to that truth, not because I'm disciplined, but because I love him. I delight in the Lord. I delight in him. He's my life. He's the love of my life. He's my waking prayer and my final thought at night. And um, I know that's his grace. I know that's his gift to me. But loving the Lord our God with all our heart, the great commission, is only half of the story. It's only half of the story. Because the great commandment finds its greatest capacity when it's attached to the great commission. So the great commandment to love the Lord our God is the starting point and the dwelling place for God's kingdom to come. But you see, I can't keep that to myself. And if I truly understood how God works, I would not keep that to myself. I give it away. I invest my life. I live beyond me. In a world that's so preoccupied with me, I choose to have a completely different perspective. I want to be the kind of person who God will send out into every context or situation. And I'm not thinking, what will I gain from this? My heart has to grow in its capacity to understand, what can God do with this? As I take my pitiful, ordinary life and I place it at his disposal, he will do extraordinary things through it. God's not looking for experts. He's just looking for people who understand that through, through their lives, he can change this world. So I didn't have a great start to life as a person. I came from quite a broken family. I didn't grow up in church. I wasn't surrounded by all of the things that people... Um, see regularly. But I did grow up, I think, believing that there was another kind of life available. And it wasn't until I became a believer at the age of 24 that I began to experience that very life. 
I often say to people when they're trying to reach out to their friends, you know, everyone's looking for the right thing. They just all happen to be looking in the wrong places. And, and I recognize that to be true about me. I knew there was something more. You know, let me give you some examples. What about those people with those strange things and they go along the beaches looking for metal? Has anyone ever found a Roman artifact that's worth billions? Maybe one or two. But actually what people are looking for is something that will take them out of the ordinary into something that's extraordinary. Yeah? Why do we watch the Antiques Roadshow? Isn't the best part of it whenever the expert turns around and says that that little thing you had hidden in your attic is worth 4.2 million? We're not really interested in who painted it. <laughs> Let's keep it real. The only bit anyone really listens in for is how much it's worth. And don't you love it when they fake it and they say, oh, I was surprised. I don't think you're surprised. You've been, <laughs> you've been to every art dealer to find out how much this is worth. And you turn up here in your fakery and think we can't spot you. I always think it's interesting when they start saying things about it. They claim to know nothing about the painting. And suddenly they know where it was painted, who painted it, what particular style it is. Ah, you didn't travel here on a bus without any knowledge. You'd already done your homework. The only thing you're interested in is how much is it worth? And they're wonderful moments, aren't they? Antiques Roadshow. Why do people do the lottery? They're looking for something that will take them out of the ordinary and place them in an extraordinary life. And so I think the whole of humanity, wherever you come from, whatever your life experience is, is looking for the right thing. There is another life available. There is a great life available. And Jesus says, I am the way to that life. I am the truth. And I am the very life that you're looking for. So, I may not have had all the best starts of this world, but I did find the treasure, the best treasure, the pearl of greatest price. I did find the answer to some of the questions of my heart whenever Christ came into my life at the age of 24. And I know that he didn't just do that casually, he did it very intentionally. So while we've been exploring the great commandment, I want to take you on a journey now to the other half of that story, which is the great commission. The great commandment is this truth. God is what we've been looking for in all the wrong places. The great commandment to love him is there is a life beyond this life that is so full and so blessed and so powerful you would never want to go back to the life you had before it. The great commandment is this, that we were created in our original form to live our lives connected to the source of love known to us as Christ. That you and I have always been shaped and formed for relationship with God. The great commandment is that God restores us to our original design. And what that means is that our identity becomes secure. In a world where everybody's trying to find it, we found it in him. What God also restores in the great commandment through relationship with him is our human dignity. I love the fact that when Jesus refers to the New Testament church, he never refers to them as sinners. He always refers to them as saints. We have a new dignity that's been afforded to us by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have a new purity, not something produced by human effort, but the work of God himself, who came into our life and cleansed us from all of our sin and shame 
and purchased our souls with his precious blood so that we can live unreservedly, unhidden before him. There is a purity that comes through salvation that will cause you to live with absolute clarity about who you truly are and everything that matters to you in life. And also in this great commandment to love God, this salvation work, we find that God restores us from the effects of sin. Do you know that all of us are marred and marked by the things that we've engaged with? You see, while we couldn't find him and didn't know him, we filled our lives with all manner of counterfeit ways to meet the very needs that he placed in us. Needs that he gave to us when he knitted us together in our mother's womb. Needs that he longed to fulfill in our lives. But we went here and we went there. And we went to this and we went to that. Trying to find the very thing that we were searching for. But from all the wrong places. And as a result of that, we have been marred. We have been misshapen. We have been marked by so many things. You know, I was chatting with somebody about a week ago. And they were telling me about the sexual abuse they experienced at the hands of a relative when they were a child. And here they are all these years later. And they're walking with Jesus. And the only respite for their soul is that they know that God loves them as a good, good father. Their experience wasn't that here on earth. And God is changing them and changing them and changing them and transforming them. You see, that's what it means when it says, He who began this good work in you, He's not going to leave you to work it out on your own. He will carry it on and carry it on and carry it on until it's finished. Someone say amen. amen. So while I'm sleeping, He's working. God never stops working. So the great commandment invites us into this whole new life where all that we are learning is how to live with him in the purity, the holiness, the freedom that he has purchased for us by his precious blood. What we're learning is what the Bible would refer to as sonship. We're learning how to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. But can I just ask you a question? If God can do that for you, and I think he is, I would say out loud, I think it's important sometimes to repeat things just for the sake of the tape officer. There are only two kinds of people I've ever met in church. Those who are in recovery and those who are in denial. I mean, different faces, different places, different names. But you have to make up your mind. Are you just going to pretend there's nothing wrong with you? Because <laughs> the people who live with you already know there is. Do you know whenever I have an argument with Jane, she doesn't spill out, Oh, you're very handsome. She'll say, And you, and you, and you. And I said, And you, and you. <laughs> people who are closest to you know that you're broken. They know it. I mean, you can do your best. You can put on, you know, your Chanel perfume and whatever else, gents, that you use these days to hide and mask the stench of your brokenness. But anyone who knows you knows you. And so we can't keep pretending. And I, I will never, ever allow a church that I'm involved in anyway to go through the processes of pretending we're all overcomers. For some of us, getting out of bed was the biggest task we had this day. We've just got to keep it real. Keep it honest. Keep it true. But you know, if you're hiding yourself, you're not only hiding yourself from the world, you're hiding yourself from yourself. 
and you don't even know who you are some days. <laughs> do you? It's a wonderful drama I used to do it years ago where a guy is standing in a room and he's got these masks in a box and the, the house group leaders turn up and he puts on his holy face, does his little mime, goes to the door. His friends come who are party revelers and so he puts on his party face, got a mask as a party face, and he goes to the door and he answers it and they're all laughing and joking and all that kind of stuff. And then Jesus turns up and he doesn't know what face to put on. I mean, he's got so many to choose from. But you can do that to certain people, but you can't do that with God. God sees who you are. He knows who you are. That's why the great commandment to love him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength is a 24-hour-a-day ministry from the Holy Spirit to bring you back to a place where you accept who you are. To one of the things I love about the Holy Spirit, he's caused me to accept who I am. And that's so liberating because I don't have to pretend I'm anything other than I am. It's okay with God for me to be me. But let me take you to a scripture that I think perhaps is the other half of this story. God does restore our lives and he keeps restoring our lives. But actually, there's another part to that story. It's a greater story. And I actually think it's this, that God not only heals your broken life, but he wants through your broken life to heal his broken world. That's where the great commandment and the great commission come together. They're two sides of the same truth. If God can redeem you, he can redeem his world. Can't he? Yes. If God can change you, he can change this world. Can't he? Yes. If God cares about you and your brokenness enough to send Christ to bring healing and restoration, can he not through your life bring healing and restoration to others? The story is so much more than just your own personal transformation. The story is God invading our world through ordinary people who've discovered that truth, who are turning up in their homes and their families, in their context and their communities, and they're bringing life. People living beyond their personal agenda for the sake of the agenda of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So, let me read you this scripture. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you, maybe you could turn there. We're going to be reading verse 9 together. This is God speaking to the New Testament church, a church like us whose heart and life has been changed and transformed by God. And he's inviting them to the bigger picture. He's inviting them to think a little bit more expansively about the capacity of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And he says in verse 9, but you are a chosen people. Why does he start with that phrase? I think there's a security that's necessary. If we are ever going to become the world changers that we're created to be, it has to start with a security. And that security can't be based on your ability or what someone else happens to say about you or not say about you. It has to be based on this fact, that before the foundations of the earth, he knew you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He formed you. You are wonderfully and fearfully made. And it's important for us to know that we didn't choose God. God chose us. 
You see, if I ever fall into the trap of thinking I'm the one doing the choosing, then there might be the odd day, well, I'll choose not to. Isn't that the truth? So it can't be based on my capacity to keep choosing God. And of course, we all try to do that. It's called discipleship. But everything hinges. It's all founded. And the foundation stone is so much more than just human ability to follow God. The greatest impetus in the Holy Spirit towards humanity is that we would know that we are chosen. We are chosen. You are a chosen human being. Now, many have been called. In other words, Jesus died for everyone. His blood was sufficient for everyone, but you were chosen. You were chosen. Now, that doesn't make you better than anyone else. It doesn't. It just makes you clearer about some things. So God chose you, which is good news for me, because tomorrow I might not be in a good mood. But God is always the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. And I need to grab hold of my chosenness. It can't be a fleeting thought or some kind of whim or a moment where I think, oh, the Holy Spirit really is touching me. I need to invest and partner and embrace the chosen reality that God handpicked me from the foundations of this earth. Otherwise, I will try and prove something to him. Worse still, I will try and impress him. God chose me. And you know what? He chose me when I didn't choose him. While we were still yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for you. See, God never chose you for what you could do for him. He chose you because he knew what he could do for you. Jesus came into your life not to get you working, but to get you worshiping. When you reconnect your heart to the living God, everything starts to shift and change. So the Apostle Peter writing to the church says, you are a chosen people. That's your identity. That's who you really are. Now, I was never chosen for anything. Do you know whenever I was at school and we had sports day, I was the one nobody chose for the team. Please, there are scars, don't laugh. I was the one left looking after the coats. And I want to thank Jesus because I gained many things from the pockets of those coats. I think there's always an upgrade in every situation. I remember the groans whenever the, the teacher, the sports teacher, would try and get the best team to have me. I was a bit like the, the, you know, the, the penalty to their greatness. And he, I remember one, Mr. Condon was his name. Surely you could have him on your team. You're so good. Thank you, Mr. Condon. In other words, he's so bad, even he can't stop you from being so good. <laughs> but to think that Christ, in his eye, when he died his horrendous death on the cross, had vision and purpose concerning me, I just can't catch my breath. I, I've never drawn that kind of attention from anyone in my life, let alone the God of the universe. So from the foundations of the earth, he didn't just know you, 
He chose you. Oh, don't you worry. People will have all kinds of opinions about you. But God so loved you that he came for you. Let's just sit on that for a minute. It says this, that not only is that true, but it says this, that we're not just a chosen people, we're a royal priesthood. And here comes the great commandment. You see, we're chosen for intimacy. We're chosen for relationship. We're chosen to live consistently in the flow of the Father's affection every single day in every single way of our lives. And to be a royal priesthood, there are two aspects to that. We need to understand the kingship to which we've been called. You are not the tail, you are the head. You are not the last, you are the first. God has taken you from a lowly position and has seated you with Christ in heavenly places. Someone say amen or I'm going home. Okay, so you're not starting at the same level as some people who haven't got that revelation. You're starting from elevated status. You, my friend, as a Christian, are flying spiritually first class. There is no better seat in the house. No higher place. And you stay in that environment mentally, spiritually, knowing that God is taking you from the lowest level of humanity and placed you far above all powers, all thrones, all dominions. You are seated in him and with him and you rule and you will reign with him forevermore. That's the truth of what God is preparing you for. So we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. I've tried to explain the royal part. Do you know that royalty exists not to draw attention to itself? Any true godly monarch knows that their whole purpose for existing is to, to afford to those who are less fortunate a better quality of life. So to truly be royal isn't just that I'm sitting in a high place. I've been given that high place of governance to facilitate you coming to a high place too. My position on the throne with Christ or with Christ near the throne is to release people to their destiny, not draw people to my destiny. So I'm chosen. He made the first advances towards me. He makes them every day. But I'm royal. I've been given a governmental anointing, a governmental anointing, a kingly anointing that I am here to steward whilst I'm here on the earth. And that is not to secure my throne room experience, that whole kingship anointing is to release others to life, to raise people up to their greatest capacity, to release people over and over again into their destiny. If you want to know anything about spiritual authority, it is not about drawing people to you. It's about releasing people to Christ. True spiritual authority always lifts people up to a higher level of understanding and learning. The fivefold ministry exists not as the dominant hand of God over anything, but as the helping hand of God to raise people to life. Apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, they all exist to raise people to life. So if you're ever in a situation where someone's keeping people down and they claim to be a leader, they're not God's leader. They're insecure and they're frightened that somebody will be better than they are. That's the truth. But godly leadership always lifts people. It causes you to believe more in the capacity of God in your life and to take greater risks and to experience greater outpourings of his blessing. 
So we are the only agency on the planet, planet that's been given the authority to raise people up. In Matthew 28, verses 16 through to the end of the passage, Jesus says to his disciples at a very poignant moment in his parting from this earth and going back to heaven, he said, All authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. I now give it to you. Go and make disciples. Go and raise the world. Go and lift people up. Flooding every environment with the Father's love. Saturating every community with the power of the Holy Spirit. And giving everybody the opportunity to explore the reality of the Son. So when Peter writes to the church and says, you are a chosen people, he's talking about your security and your identity. I've repeatedly said this to this church over the last number of months. The biggest issue facing the body of Christ now is whether we believe what the Bible says about us is true. That's the biggest issue. When we get our minds around that and we come into partnership with that, all kinds of things will flow. The second thing we need to know is that we've been raised with Christ to heavenly places. You have a governmental authority. Do you know when you walk in a room, a demon trembles? Do you know that when sickness confronts you, you have more power and authority over it than anything that you realize right now? The church just doesn't get this. It kind of says, oh yeah, that's great, that's lovely. We think that these things are for people who pop in and visit us. This is your inheritance. This is your call. This is not my call. My call is to help you find your call. It's not about me praying for the sick. It's about you praying for the sick. It's not about me raising people from the dead. It's about you raising. Do you know what? If you pray for someone sick this week and they got healed, your faith will be off the Richter scale. Why? Because that's your destiny. That's your identity. That's your authority. If you talk to somebody this week and they give their heart to Jesus, I tell you what, we won't be able to sit you down in the worship. You'd be jumping like a gazelle around the room. Is that how a gazelle walks? It's a bit more graceful, isn't it? <laughs> Why? Because it's your identity. It's your authority. It's your destiny. It's the legacy of Christ to the body of Christ. So he chose you, amen? No insecurity there. He raised you, amen? amen? He gave you, amen, an authority to rule and to reign with him over his creation. Authority given to lift people out of the mire and the clay and bring them back to relationship with God. The kingship anointing is not about building empires, it's about releasing the kingdom of heaven. And what does a royal priesthood do? Well, your first and foremost task is to worship God. There is a priestly anointing that breaks the yoke. All of this that we seek to do, and we will seek to do this, will never happen unless we're carriers of his presence. And we won't become carriers of his presence accidentally. We have to become carriers of his presence intentionally. I'm sure you've been there like I have. You can be in a meeting and there could be some incredible worship happening. Great vocal capacity and ability. And then some little voice begins to sing. Not the loudest in the room, maybe. Not the most rehearsed, perhaps. And then everything shifts. Something happens. It's undefinable. 
You couldn't quantify it. You wouldn't know how to put words to it. But you know that when that person begins to lead you, his presence is here. His power is quickly behind it. The church is called and given by God an authority over all things. But that authority is not a dominant thing. It's pure. It's humble. It's intimate. And yet it's powerful. I've long since gone tired of the, the big shouting at the demons thing. Do you know Jesus never shouted at any demon? In fact, they shouted at him. Go read the Bible, it's there. So that Jesus didn't have to do a when he was praying for the sick. Peter didn't even speak. He walked past and somebody got healed out of his shadow. <laughs> it's not about the hoo-ha. <laughs> okay? We make so much of this about that. It's not about that at all. When you walk with God as a priest, as a royal priest, there is a purity. And right with that, there is a power. And you won't need many words, trust me. But the ones you speak will have a huge impact. A royal priesthood, a holy people, a, a chosen people. And look what it says. Keep reading with me. There are a number of things here. A holy nation. What Peter is saying is because you are chosen and you belong to God, because he has given you a royal anointing with a priestly expression, a nation can be made holy. Can you catch your breath, church? A nation can be made holy. Because, I'll just keep going until somebody wakes up. So make it quick because your dinner's getting cold. Because you are chosen by him, amen? That's your identity and therefore your destiny. That's your recovery. You are now made a royal priesthood. That's your authority. It's found and fashioned through purity and intimacy. And it has the capacity to change a nation. So it's no wonder, is it, if you think that way, that God would say that we're God's special possession. In other words, we are God's secret weapons of mass destruction. In other words, what we carry in our lives has the capacity to transform everything in our nation. When we pray, things happen. When we act, things are reformed. The church is not impotent, powerless, and without its place in society. It's at the very center of all that God wants to do in society. There is no other body of people that have the same governmental priestly anointing to change the world. You are the only ones that God has given that to. We just didn't know that, or somebody failed to show us that, We've never perhaps seen it demonstrated that way. But that's why it says, awake, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. In other words, there's a lethargy that sometimes steals from you your destiny, and Christ will shine on you. Who wants a holy nation? 
You see, everything about God is not about personal transformation. It's about cultural reformation. He starts with personal transformation, but his goal is cultural reformation. God wants to reform our culture. In the last church I was in, we used to have a thing called the Giants. And what that was, was the seven high places of culture. You probably know what they are. One is obviously politics, the other is education. Places where, if you like, the demonic forces have for too long ruled and reigned. And actually our job as the church is to find our way back into these high places, these seven high places, and reclaim them for the glory of God Almighty. We don't just want teachers who do a job. We want teachers who carry a priestly anointing, step into their classrooms, and the kingdom of God transforms the brokenness of humanity. We don't just want people in the medical profession. What good is that? That's great that you do that job. Thank you very much. We may have mistakenly called you God occasionally. But the reality is you're there to bring the kingdom. And you are called by God to fathom the breadth of the human condition so that whenever you start to move in your expertise, there is an authority and a priestly anointing and a governance that comes that changes the outcome for people. God more and more and more has taught me that people who are walking with him in the medical profession get access to insights and revelations that change the outcomes of people's lives. It's not just medicine or science, it's supernatural capacity that's afforded to those who are a royal priest and a holy people set apart for the purposes of God. For too long, for too long, church, we have extracted ourselves from the world. And our mandate is to go into all the world, flooding, engineering, with a revelation of God. Who is the greatest engineer after all? <laughs> Medicine, the arts, oh, my favorite subject. Every creative person I've ever known in the body of Christ has left. Because we have this way of working as, as communities, as church communities, where everything is preoccupied with education. It's not sensory, it doesn't invite people into exploration. We are almost in many ways dogmatic about what we think is truth and yet we are blind to some things because our God is the creator God and there are things about his creation we have yet to discover I pray all the time for people in the arts God raise them up I want somebody who I know to be in Hollywood making films about Christ I want not not you know Jesus of Nazareth films. I mean, people who actually say something in a contemporary way that other people can. If you look at Hollywood, out of the vast many films that come out in the last 20 years, there have been more redemptive narratives coming through unchurched, ungodly people. Why? Because it's a high place of influence. It's a mountain, and it's been sieged by the, the, the works of the enemy, and God's even coming past that and going into people's dreams and giving them visions and understandings about things so they can write the narrative of redemption. Where did good, empowering, and overcoming evil come from? The Bible. I need a hero. The hero is Christ. The one who comes to redeem and to restore that which the enemy had taken. And if you pay attention to what's happening in Hollywood or even in the music business right now, 
okay, or any of the arts, poetry, drama, you will find that without the church's engagement, somehow God has managed to get his message across. There's a wonderful play called Blood Brothers. Has anybody ever seen Blood Brothers? It's a, it's a play about two brothers who are separated at birth. They believe that they're not related. They grow up as the best of friends, and then they realize later on in life that they actually are brothers. And there's, the, one tries to kill the other one. It's a bit like Cain and Abel. Okay, but the narrative, the narrative is so powerful. It's a, it's a narrative of, of forgiveness and a narrative of, of repentance and a narrative of God restoring things that look like they're trashed. Where does that come from? Do you think these people know Jesus? God, in his great wisdom, is giving theater, um, writers, poets, the narrative that comes from heaven. Where did Disney come from? Disney is founded on not fantasy, which it has now become known for, but it's been founded on morality. The reason Disney wanted to exist is because they wanted to give a narrative of morality to society. While we were sleeping and singing our Pentecostal songs, okay, God is at work in his world bringing the story the great narrative that this is his world and he's taking it back. God is at work in your workplace. He's at work in your family. He's at work everywhere. And if we're like this, we will not see it. And you and I are invited to be part of changing this world. The Great Commission is God's invitation to share what only he could do in and through your life with the world around you. You're not, you haven't got a job. You've got a mission. You're not going to work. You're there to wonder, to worship and to wonder. God, what do you want to do in this place? You don't go shopping. You go treasure hunting. Holy Spirit, what are you doing in here? Does the lady on the checkout need to know that you love her today? What does it look like? You're not on the bus. You're going on the highway to heaven. You're walking alongside somebody who you don't know already God is speaking to. And when you sit down them accidentally, God has positioned you in his authority to bring life and hope to somebody who's living with tragedy. My dream is the church wouldn't meet on a Sunday and would pop down to the QE and empty it. My dream is that we'd start having an expansive vision that God, through us, would rewrite the story of our city. What is Birmingham known for? The bullring doesn't even exist anymore. Second city has first place in the heart of the Father. Do you hear me? He has a dream, and he's asking you, he's asking me, will you carry it? Will you facilitate it? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Eventually, it will become a holy nation set apart for the purposes of God. God's divine dream for us is more, so much more than a handful of people gathered in some church building. Some kind of refugees from the world because it's hard to live with all the cultural nuances that exist. God's dream is to change the world through his people. As they grow up in their identity and start to understand the destiny they carry, they will bring life to every part of culture and to every context. In John 
We are told, and it's a very famous scripture, it says, for God so loved the world. I think if we're honest, we've kind of replaced that with for God so loved the church. It's not, it wasn't a conscious thing, it's just become. Do you know that God loves this world? God loves the very people that irritate you. I might be one of them today. God loves the, the, the people up the road from you that throw the trash all over the lawn. God loves them. He loves them. I mean, you might not like them. But you've always been slow at catching up with God, haven't you? Haven't we all? Do you know the people that we look out sometimes and we think, well, they're not really going to get it. You might be shocked in the days that come ahead. They might have already got it. They might have already got it. Joe, I, I went through so much of this in churches we've pastored before because people would say, oh, they're drug addicts or pastor they're prostitutes. And, you know, let me tell you a story. I'm going to land. You'll be glad your dinner won't get burned today. But when we went to Bristol, Bristol was a very interesting church because it couldn't have been the opposite in any much more way than it was to the one I had pastored. So Bristol... We had the Leah pieces in, and uh, the music would start on a countdown. We were given 3.12 seconds for the first song. <laughs> and then somebody would speak into your ear and say, now the announcements, and someone would cut up and give the announcements. Okay, and then that was 1.2, I think just over 1.2 minutes. Okay, you have to be very, there wasn't loads of announcements. And then we'd go back into three songs. The sermon was 15 minutes. I can't even say hello in 15 minutes. It was just... <laughs> and you know, it was black. The whole room was black. You couldn't see. There's no daylight. And they used to have this clock at the back, and I couldn't see it. So often I'd be challenged week after week. Pastor, we're going over time. We're going over time. You know, I, I tried my best, but as you can tell, I'm not so good with that. And they had smoke machines on. So not only could I not see the clock, Okay, they bought one of those big airport clocks, you know, the massive ones like that with the digital numbers on them. <laughs> to try, do you remember this, Pete? To try and keep me in time, but it never worked. None of it worked. Okay, and then God started breaking out in the meetings. But one of the things, one story that, that taught me some things about the great commandment and the great commission. I came in one day to the church and um, the ladies who were there, there were some ladies who volunteered, they said, you know, Pastor, there's some people sleeping rough on the, on the doorstep. And I said, oh, that's dreadful. And she said, it is dreadful. I had to walk around to the front of the building. I was coming down the back. I said, no, no, it's dreadful that you didn't invite them in. <laughs> so I feel really afraid. I couldn't invite them in. There were big guys, you know, they were sleeping. I said, where are they? So we went out the back of the church, and lo and behold, there was a wonderful place if you're ever needing a shelter for the night, it had a canopy and kind of out of, and there's these two huge guys there. And so it's like minus three. They've got cardboard boxes around them. And so this lady's standing inside the church door. This is the back door and I'm standing outside and I'm saying, guys, hello, hello. Not knowing what I would find. Hello. How are you? They're listening to you more than they're listening to me. That's all I know. Okay. And uh, this guy woke up. He was Polish, I think. And he was gruff, really gruff. You know, he could barely stand. And, and he was embarrassed that I'd, I'd woken him. And I said, you know, what's your name? He said, his name was Sergio. 
I said, Sergio, I can't believe that you have to sleep here, my friend. Oh, no, we won't come back tonight. No, I'm not saying that. I didn't say that. I just said, I can't believe that you have to sleep here. He said, well, where else will I go? I don't have anywhere else to go. I said, come inside. So we came inside. We made him a cup of tea. Um, I had a, an assistant, and I sent him out to get a McDonald's. I loved it. Thank, I thanked him very much for it. <laughs> to spot a little bit of breakfast for these two guys. And they sat on the, the church had like a bistro area. They sat just chatting. And Sergio began to tell me his life story. And his life story went like this, that he'd been married to some woman. He'd started drinking. He was very highly um, accredited as, as some kind of physiotherapist that trained all kinds of people with sports injuries and so on. And somehow, through the course of his life, the alcohol got the better of him. His wife left him. She took the kids with her. And um, he ended up unemployed, and, um, and, and slowly and surely, his life drew him more and more towards living um, without a home. And so I just like thought, gosh, that's just remarkable. You know, <laughs> when you hear those stories, and you actually, if you'd heard the bits that he shared, you think, that could happen to anybody, couldn't it? That could just happen to anybody. So I said to him, Sergio, do you know tonight, whenever you, you, you're looking for somewhere, please come back to the back door of the church. And what I'll do is I'll get somebody to put something to windbreak that area for you. Now, I didn't ask the deacons. Because I knew if I asked the deacons, they probably would say, is it a good idea? I've, I work with the principal. It's always best to ask for forgiveness than permission. <laughs> okay? So, I th so we brought Sergio in. And Sergio stayed there for a good number of weeks. And he came in. And we had showers in the church. And he showered and found him clothes. And... Do you know the remarkable thing is that over about two or three months he started attending the church and he would stand at the back away from everybody, never really felt that he was part of it and then he, he was looking for a job and we needed a cleaner and so I said to him, would you be willing, I know it's not a great job financially for you, but would you be willing, oh I'd love to clean the church. Do you know he was the best cleaner that I've ever known in any church? He was so thorough, and he would come in as early as he could get there, and he would leave as late as he... he nothing was too much trouble at all for Sergio. And Sergio, um, because he had a warrant on his life, he ended up going back to his homeland um, to do his time in jail to ensure that he could come back and live his life freely for Christ. Now, what are, what are the nuggets of that? On our doorstep, without us realizing was somebody who was having a journey with God. It didn't look that way. He didn't present himself, you know, with, you know, posh clothes and stuff. It wasn't a Sunday morning experience. But he had been asking questions. He had been trying to find answers. He's trying to find solutions to the problems of his life and somehow stumbled in to getting a Bible from one of his fellow uh, street livers and that Bible I think came from us but he used to read the New Testament and um, he, he read it in Polish, that was his language, this person gave it to him, so I didn't know that, I had no idea that was taking place, the lady who came in, she just saw somebody living rough and she was a bit frightened a, a bit intimidated by that and if I had listened to that voice I probably would have moved them on but there was another voice that was speaking to me. It's a voice called mercy. And when that voice got hold of my heart, I thought, this is a man who's lost all of his dignity 
And I believe there's only one person I know on this planet that can restore that. And so I thought, let's connect him to Jesus and see what God will do. Sergio went from strength to strength to strength. I didn't do anything except offer him a cup of tea. You see, under your nose right now and around your life are people that God has placed there. They're not there to irritate you, although hopefully some of them are. Well, because what is life if you don't have the odd irritation? Some fruit of the Spirit can come out of that, eh? I mean, pray, oh God, make me patient, and they give you somebody who frustrates the pants off you. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Oh God, give me the grace and patience, and then you're working with somebody and you just can't bear to be in the same room as them. You think that's not God answering your question? See, God's ways are not your ways. What you thought was a, 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 you know, a holiday in Barbados, give me patience, God, to lie more on the sunbed and enjoy the sun and another cocktail, pina colada, would be great, thank you very much. But God, oh no, no, if you really want patience, we don't do patience by extracting you from people, we do it by irritating you through people. God has a way, yeah? And it's so easy for us not to see that beyond you and you and me, there's you. And I might not know you or know anything about you, but God's already speaking to you. I can walk past you in the street. I have no idea about your story. I have no idea why you are, where you are, doing what you're doing. But there is a God who sees everything, knows everything about you. He's counted every hair on your head and bottled up every tear that you have cried. And if I just pause for a moment and catch the sound of his voice, there might be a moment whenever I actually see the kingdom come in the heart that's been searching for God. I might have been set up to connect with that person all along and I just didn't realize it. The amount of accidental kingdom moments I've had, I can't keep count of. They're everywhere, in every situation I'm in. And the only thing that I can say to you about that is that is why God has chosen to bring me back to this church because my job is to empty it. To release people into their destiny, to release people into their ministries, to release people into their fullest capacity. And you know, what we will see in the days ahead is not a great move of God in the church. Please stop celebrating because there's a few more people here. That's a very short-sighted way of seeing the kingdom of God. What will happen is you're going to come here and you're going to say, you'll never believe this. I met a man. Father. Pastor. You won't be able to catch your breath. I was talking to this girl on the bus and this happened. I guarantee you that within three months, you're going to come here with stories that will change and transform your concept of you, of God and the world in which he's placed you. I guarantee you'll be at work and someone will say something to you and the spirit of God will start to say, hang on a minute, this is a moment where I have to give attention to this because although all these people are vying for my attention, God is here and God is about to move in his power and his authority. You'll be sitting at your desk and you're writing something and the Holy Spirit will hijack it and before you know where you are, you've got four pages of a plan to start a business or an entrepreneurial idea and you think, where did that come from? Did I have too much cheese for dinner? But God will be speaking. He'll be ministering to you. Why? Because God's at work in the world that he loves. 
He's at work amongst the people that he loves. He's always been there. He's always going to be there. It's not just about us in our meetings. It's about this world that he has placed you in. And if you were born for such a time as this, then for such a time as this, you need to rise. If you were born for such a time as this, for such a time as this, you need to show up in your world. If you were born for such a time as this, you need to be courageous or even just humble enough to say, God, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength to do it. We've been talking about the great commandment. And please, please, it's the resource and the provision of God in intimacy and connectivity with him that fuels everything God wants to do through you. But unless you take what you have been given and shown and give it away to people, what you have will dry up. Church is full of people who have dried up because the kingdom was never about a reservoir. It's always been about a river. And a river goes somewhere. It moves. It brings life and it creates life. Stand, will you please? Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. God subjecting everything to friendship and intimacy and connectivity with him. Paul the apostle says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength to do so. All things isn't church things alone it's all things God in my living God in my breathing God in my sitting God in my sleeping God in my laughing God always with me and God always wanting to work through me I've been around this long enough to know that for many of us we have resigned ourselves to this untruth the world isn't interested the world doesn't care. You don't know how difficult it is for me, Pastor. I just would like to say I think I do. But greater is he who is in you than anything that's in this world. And what you carry, no one else carries it like you do. It's uniquely given to you by God. You have attributes and abilities you've yet to fully discover. And as you spend time with him, I believe he will start to lead you out into this world with real fire in your bones, with a real clarity in your heart, a real understanding that the commission and the commandment are the same God. And to love him with all of your heart and with all of your mind and all of your strength means also to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And God, I pray today, just lift your hands for me, please. I pray today, God, that somehow through my mortal words, your eternal words, would begin to awaken life in people's hearts. We have yet, Lord, to see you move like this. Lord, I believe that the greatest move of God will not be a move in the church, but will be a move through the church. In fact, you showed me a number of months ago that the red dot has moved outside of the building. There are more miracles happening outside of the building than there are in-house. Father, greater encounters of your presence outside of the building 
than there are inside of the building. And for those of us who've got churchitis, will you heal our hearts, God? We have even defined that this is the only space or place you can move in, and yet, God, you are with us. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever we go, you go. And Lord, you want, you want, you desire, your dream is that every environment we stand in, every environment we go into, that the life of the kingdom of God will begin to flow. Father, would you teach us how to do this in Jesus' precious name? And all God's people said, thank God he finished. At the end of this time, I don't mean this time, I mean this month, we're going to give you a card, and on that card we're going to ask you to write prayerfully a name. That'll be the name of somebody you hope to see come to know Jesus Christ in the next year. What we're going to ask of you to do with that name is once a day, for a minute, two minutes, pray for that person to know Jesus Christ. Okay? Pray for them. I'm not asking you to intercede for four hours. I'm not asking you to fast. All of those things, well, please don't get too religious about it. That's all I'm saying. Now, something will happen whenever you bring that name before the Lord in prayer. God will give you revelations about that person. He begin to speak to you. So your prayer life for that individual will begin to expand because the Holy Spirit loves it whenever his church starts to get with the program of the kingdom. And he has so much he wants to do in that person's life. So don't be surprised if it moves past a minute. You're going to pray once a day. But you're also going to talk with that person once a week. Because what good is it for us to pray to people if we're not connecting with them? And once again, I'm not asking you to turn up on the phone and say, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? I'm simply asking you to say, how are you doing? Have you had a good week? What's it been like for you? I've had my own struggles, by the way. And just be normal. And I know for some of you that's a huge step. But just be normal. You know when the Bible says we're peculiar? It's not peculiar because we're odd. We're peculiar because we're holy. A very different peculiarity. So you're going to pray once a day. You're going to talk to them on the phone or through WhatsApp or whatever other media that you choose to use. And I can never keep up with all of them. Okay? You're going to meet with them once a month. Because you're becoming a friend of somebody who thinks of themselves as a sinner. And here's how that meeting's going to go. You're not going to invite them to church. You are forbidden to invite them to church. And you're not allowed to talk about Jesus unless they ask you a question about your faith. You're going to do something quite remarkable, and Jesus did it all the time. You're going to eat or drink with a sinner. I would suggest coffee and a cake. Yes. I think it's a good starting point, and if you're really generous, buy it for them. See, sometimes we want to reap where we've never sown. So we're going to pray once a day. We're going to talk once a week, and we're going to meet with them once a month. You can have them to your house for dinner. It's been a long time since anyone crossed that threshold. You might even go to their house for dinner. Bring something with you. Don't be stingy. And then you're going to invite them once a quarter. And we're going to put on something in the church that is crafted carefully to say the right things about Jesus that people need to hear. So this isn't a preach. This is a strategy. And I would love you, please, to join your heart with mine. Because there's so many people in this world who have no clue just how much they're loved by God. And we already do. So, I hope that works for you. It's worked for me in a number of places. 
In one month through this strategy in Glasgow, one month we had events all geared up for the men, the ladies, the children. We saw 250 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But we all prayed once a day, we all chatted once a week, we all met once a month, and we all invited them to the things that took place. God is at work. Just keep your eyes open and your heart humble. God bless you. If you're watching with us online, thank you for your patience. You're probably off now having a cup of tea, a cup of cocoa and a sponge finger, but it was lovely to have you with us. Thank you to the church for your patience with me, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>